What's up, it's your pal Wenchikus Thoticus, and this is The Bar is Low. Every episode, we take a look at a fanfiction or a collection of fanfictions, and these can be either good, bad, or in between, but mostly, they're bad. Today, we have our first ever guest here on the show to help us tackle some communist dictator porn. When I said I wanted to do a communist episode, <laughs> she was all over it, and I need her help today because she knows more about history and the history of leftism than I do. Would you like to introduce yourself, comrade? I'm comrade Sophia. I am from Ohio, and um, I'm a communist. Well, <laughs> yeah, we figured. <laughs> So, today's fucked up meter rating is, I don't really know what it is. I would say my story is probably about a four. Alright, what does it have in it? Does it have, like, murder and rape and shit in it? Cause... No. Alright, mine does. And it also has graphic depictions of elderly world leaders engaging <laughs> in sexual intercourse. So I'm just gonna go with a 10 out of 10 to be safe. Okay, uh, should we also do a disclaimer? We're not tankies. Tankies bad. Stalin bad. Alright. Yeah. Uh, would you like to go first? Okay, yeah, I think I can go first. My first question is, uh, what do you know about Leon Trotsky? That he got murdered with an ice pick. Yeah, that he got murdered by an ice pick. Uh, you know anything else about him? In Mexico, and he fucked Frida Kahlo. Yes, he did fuck Frida Kahlo. I'm proud of him for that. <laughs> I was going to read you a little bit about Leon Trotsky. So, Leon Trotsky was born as Lev Davidovich Bronstein in 1879 to a Ukrainian Jewish family. And now Ukraine, at that time, was part of the Russian Empire, and uh, the Russian Empire was not a very fun thing to be a part of, especially if you were Jewish. The Tsarists were doing all sorts of fucked up genocidal shit, per pogroms and persecution and all types of insanity. So as you can imagine, I don't think little Lev grew up in a very uh, pro-Tsar house. And I don't know if the Bronsteins were per personally victimized by any of that bullshit, but they did have some money, which of course is the great insulator against all adversity. Of course. So our boy, he was no proletariat. He was an upper middle class farmer. So I think they were landowners and he was a country boy. But as you know, lots of country boys don't stay in the country forever. When he grows up, he moves to the big city to go to school for mathematics. Don't flex on knowing math. Yeah, he was a huge fucking nerd, as most communists are. But, but he goes to school for mathematics, but he abandons that plan because his life changes forever and history changes forever because he meets a girl. He meets a hot SJW Marxist girlfriend named Alexandra. Bitch, I need one of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she convinces him to join the Socialist Party, which of course is hella illegal in Tsarist Russia because all politics left of Joe Biden were illegal pretty much at that time. <laughs> Not gonna talk about him today. So he gets arrested and he's about to get shipped off to Siberia. And Alexandra, I don't know if she got arrested too, or if she was just, like, with him when he got arrested, but they get married in prison. Like, they get married, they have, like, a traditional <laughs> Jewish wedding in the prison in Moscow, and then they get shipped off to Siberia together, because they have to get married if they want to go together, which I'm sure is just the most wonderful honeymoon location ever. I mean, this, uh, the scenery is beautiful, you know, chilling out on the frontier, drop them off in these, like, little podunk hick frontier towns is what they used to do to them and so they're in siberia uh they have a couple babies in siberia but eventually his wife convinces him to escape 
and then he gets back to like civilization <laughs> and, and he changes his name to Trotsky. The story goes it was one of the prison guards at the prison where he was, was named Trotsky. So he names himself after a prison guard and no self-respecting communist ever goes by their real name. Yes, that's why they call me Wenchy Gastoticus, because I'm very <laughs> self-respecting. I mean, it's not as cringy of a pen name as Stalin. My name, Joey Steele! <laughs> so, so, uh, calls himself Trotsky, and then he kickstarts his career for real at this point. And the Russian Revolution, 90% happened in the media. All of the who's who of Russian Marxists, Lenin, Stalin, Trotsky, they all wrote for newspapers and magazines and wrote pamphlets. They had these like leftist newspapers where they would urge the workers to organize and strike, or they would write op-eds arguing with other socialists. Like 90% of the stuff you read from socialists is arguing with other socialists. Of course it is. That sounds <laughs> exactly like where we are today. Yeah. The revolution very much was a media-driven event. So he, he can't stay in the Russian Empire. He moves around from country to country. Wherever he goes, he would set up shop and start writing newspapers in Russian to try to send back home. And he lives in London for a while. And he and Lenin work on a newspaper together with some other people called Iskra, which means the spark. He lives in Finland. I think he lived in Spain. He lives in New York City for like three months. But he eventually goes back to New York City as soon as... The February Revolution happens and he's allowed. And so all this crazy shit is happening at that time. So Russia has like a warm-up revolution in 1905 where they basically become like a parliamentary monarchy. But there's like this huge reaction period after where they basically become like straight-up fascists. Like there's these fascist gangs running around Russia called the Black Hundreds, which just sends a bone-chilling tingle down my spine. Fucking edgy. And Trotsky gets remarried, has a couple more babies. By the way, like, all of his kids died. Like, his daughters got sick, and one of them uh, killed herself after she got sick. Both his sons were killed by the Stalinists, and I think his first wife was killed by the Stalinists. Can I get an F in the chat? F. Press F to pay respect to baby Trotsky's. But then everything changes in March 8th of 1917. Do you, do you know what day that is? The fucking... There's some revolution. Yeah, that's the February Revolution. But they were using the old Russian calendar, so it was their February or March. And do you know what March 8th also is? International Women's Day. So, so International Women's Day, the reason they call it that is because on March 8th in 1917, all of the factory girls in Petrograd decided, you know what? fuck it, we are sick and tired of this bullshit, and they go on general strike, and everybody was trying to tell them not to go on general strike, including the Bolsheviks, they're like, no, the cops will slaughter you, you do not need to go on strike, and they're like, fuck the czar, and fuck you, we're going on general strike, and they take to the streets, and they're like, running down the streets of Petrograd, marching, and they're like, going up to the factories where the men are working, like, get your ass out here, you scabs, we're going on fucking strike, and the cops do nothing. The cops watch this happen because the cops are like kind of all on the communist side by that point because they're fed up with it too. Comrade cops. Wow. Who would have thought? So they go up to the Winter Palace. They demand that Tsar Nicholas, his family, step down. And just like that, the 300-year Romanov dynasty is forever ended. 
and they shoot the kids, right? Well, no, that's later. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so they, they actually get put under house arrest. And so Trotsky at this time, he was living in New York City. And he got into New York City like three months earlier. And he's, he's like there with his wife and kids. And he's like, well, I guess we're American now. We're probably going to be here forever. Uh, maybe uh, Eugene Debs and Mother Jones will have coffee with me. And so, like, he, the first thing he does, he's, like, living in Brooklyn where, like, all these other Eastern European Jews are living. He spends all his days at the local library reading on American history so that he can join the American communist movement. What an American communism movement. Oh, are you kidding me? Like, communism was just as big as in America as it was in Russia. Really? Maybe I'm just thinking about, like, today, There's that's not mainstream yeah. at all, you know? So, okay, the Cold War was basically, they weren't afraid of Russian communists. They were afraid of American communists. Because, like, so many other countries were on the verge of communist revolutions. Like, there was an attempted revolution in Germany and Italy. There, there very well could have been a revolution in the United States. It was a pretty violent time, but we, we tend to call it the labor movement here in the States. But that was happening in America at that time, and it's how we got the weekend was because of the American communists. <laughs> oh, that's really depressing. Fighting in the streets and uh, getting fighting and dying like people died you know for this in the united states but so he's there in america for like three months and he's like oh i guess i'm an american now and then he gets the news revolution in russia and he's like kids pack your fucking bags we're going home and they run back to russia although he does get detained in scotland for a while in, in like a scottish jail because they don't like communists over there either i guess so, so he gets back to russia and after the, the Russian Revolution, the first one, February Revolution, basically what happens is Russia has two governments at this point. There's the provisional government, which is like the government that all the other countries recognize. It's like a parliament. They called the parliament the Duma. And the Russian Congress today is still called the Duma. And it's run by this guy named Kerensky, who's like a moderate social democrat, kind of like an Elizabeth Warren type. And But there's also another government because... All of the workers and the peasants and even the soldiers, too, set up these Soviets. And the Soviets were like a cross between like a labor union and a city council. So like all the people in the town, like all the workers, they'll go to the Soviet and they'll vote on important things like whether or not to go on strike, how we're going to do shit in our town. So it's kind of like these like directly democratic sort of institutions, but they have the Soviets all over Russia, and everybody's participating in the Soviets. So they have two governments. And uh, Lenin gets elected to the executive committee of the St. Petersburg Soviet. And at first, like, after the February Revolution, like, any time the government changes power, there's going to be, like, some instability. And things started devolving kind of into a hot mess. There was a uprising against the provisional government that was violently suppressed, in which Trotsky ends up in jail and Lenin has to go into hiding. The provisional government was just really acting a fool. They were refusing to end to pull Russia out of World War One. So all these people were getting killed and the country was in severe debt. They were f refusing to do pretty much any economic reforms. So at first, like the moderate socialists are popular in the Soviets, you know, people like the Mensheviks, the socialist revolutionaries, you know, people who believe in getting along with the political government. But most of the Bolsheviks are in favor of overthrowing the provisional government. But eventually the, the provisional government just acts like a fool so much that the Bolsheviks get voted into power in the Soviets. And the first thing they did is agree that they were going to kick out the provisional government. And so they have an insurrection. 
So the Soviets get all the soldiers who are part of their soldier Soviets. And they, they basically have like a police operation where they just go and like take over all of the buildings in Petrograd. And like nobody dies. Like it was like really like fast and quiet and bloodless because like all of the soldiers that the provisional government had, those guys were on the side of the Soviets. Because <laughs> they're like, yeah, we're done. Imagine fucking up that bad. Yeah, that even the cops won't support you. Yeah. So now we've had the October Revolution and everybody's happy. But for like five minutes, because immediately after, uh, every single major capitalist country invades Russia. They're like, no, we're not going to be having no fucking communist countries. Because if we let them get away with it, there's going to be communist uprisings in our countries too. So they all invade Russia at once. You know, United States, Germany, England, Japan, France, they all invade Russia at once. And there's a massive bloody civil war. There's a shit ton of like innocent people die and starve to death. But uh, who leads the Red Army to victory? That would be your pal, Leon Trotsky. I thought I was your pal. Yeah. Oh, you can have more than one well, pal. you're my pal too. Leon Trotsky, he was the first leader of the Red Army. He had this like huge armored train, which was like really badass. And like they had this train that was like pimped out and like had like machine gun turrets and armor and he would travel back and forth across the front in this train like stopping to give speeches to the soldiers but but yeah they win they win they barely win but they win thanks to trotsky's leadership oh my god i almost said i want to ride on trotsky's pimp train but then i realized how sexual that sounded <laughs> well i mean considering the other content of this oh yeah podcast episode so I mean, I want to ride on the, the armored train, too, though. Yeah. Because I totally want one. It sounds cool. So the Russian Civil War is over. Now the fun part begins. And by the fun part, I mean the hard part and the boring part that nobody wants to do. It's just actually running the country. Uh, that's so not sexy. So you gotta understand that uh, Russia at this time was, like, broke-ass third-world country. It was, it was a hot mess. Like, only, like, 3% of the country was actually proletarian actually urban working class everybody else were like peasant farmers it was not really a good situation to be having socialism and they were really really hoping that other countries and like the more developed countries would also have communist revolutions and then the, all of the communist countries could work together but that didn't happen and the russians were, were left pretty much on their own and a lot of the reason why it devolved into the authoritarian mess that happened was because they were trying to survive on their own when when they really were not set up to be able to do so in a correct way. But, but you know, they, you got to do what you got to do. So they're arguing about how to run the country. And the biggest controversy is what to do with the peasant farmers. Some of them are like, no, we need to collectivize the farms or no, we need to just tax grain. And eventually what they come up is with this idea that Lenin has called the new economic policy, where basically there's going to be communism in the city and markets in the country. And they do that for a while. And then Lenin dies. He has like a stroke. Oh, by the way, Trotsky was like, he was off somewhere doing something right after Lenin died. And Stalin gave Trotsky the wrong date for the funeral on oh, purpose. No. He was like, oh, look, Trotsky didn't come to the funeral. Hmm. Fucking drama. Like, they're just like, they're like a bunch of teenage girls or something. Just being catty, it yeah. sounds like. It's funny in hindsight with the distance that I have, but it probably wasn't so funny then. 
and and so like in this time the central committee like they weren't really being ruled by like a lone person although at this point if there was a lone person in charge you would probably label it as trotsky they were ruled by a committee and stalin was on the committee trotsky was on the central committee and then a bunch of other people who we don't have time to talk about are on the committee and they're continuing to argue about you know what are we going to do with economic policy because the new economic policy that Lenin came up with the NEP it was having a lot of problems it was causing like inflation and deflation things going on at once and it was a hot mess and it made it so that it was very hard for the country and the city to trade with one another so they're fighting and fighting and there's also other ideological differences that are popping up between the quote-unquote Stalinists and the Trotskyists eventually Stalin just like fucking snap and he just decides you know what I'm done arguing you commies are driving me nuts. And having spent some time with communists, I kind of I kind of can relate. Um, <laughs> it's like, I'm done arguing. Yeah, uh, politics. Well, not, not talking about you. Yeah, no. I'm just vibing. If you go onto, like, internet forums, everybody argues. And, and so he ends up kicking Trotsky out of the country and killing all of the other, like, actual communists who are in the government and replacing them with all these like sycophants oh and then stalin decides to do all of the policies that trotsky originally uh originally <laughs> came up with what the hell although he was like mean about it i don't think trotsky would have been as evil about it i don't know maybe he would have who knows and so uh eventually that ends up with Trotsky spending like 10 years in exile and he spends a lot of time writing like he writes a bunch of books trying to describe how the USSR was turning into a dictatorship. He also writes a lot about fascism and like the rise of fascism. He was really just a brilliant theoretician. Like he was a genius honestly. But Stalin was like no I'm done with having to read your books that you wrote all the way in Mexico. Oh, yeah, he's in Mexico. He lives there for a while and uh, um, getting his brains fucked out by Frida Kahlo. <laughs> his brains fucked out. Just having a grand old time. That's, it sounds like it would be such like a weird crossover, but no, it was canon. I don't know. I guess she was a communist, too. But eventually uh, Stalin's like, yeah, fuck that. And he sends a dude to murder Trotsky with an ice pick. And uh, that was that was the end of... Leon Trotsky, but not the real end because we still have all his brilliant writings. And so, like some of the differences between the Stalinists and the Trotskyists, like I was really surprised to learn this, but the Stalinists are actually a lot more conservative than the Trotskyites are. That's why you always say that Stalin was a Republican. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I made, yeah, I made jokes that Stalin was actually a moderate Republican. Stalin, like he was like he had a personality that was like very like cautious, almost cowardly. I would say coward, but he was like. He was kind of cautious and conservative. Like, after the February Revolution, when all of the Bolsheviks are calling, overthrow the provisional government, you know, revolution, revolution. Stalin was like, um, yeah, I'm not sure about that. I think I should get along with them. Like, and he writes all these, like, op-eds in Pravda. Stalinists believe in, like, revolutions happening in stages. Like, they think, like, countries need to have, like, a quote-unquote bourgeois democratic revolution before they can have a communist revolution. You know, like, you know, like, American revolution was a bourgeois democratic revolution. So when Stalin's in power, like, he is in communication with Mao Zedong, who's in China, fighting in China. Yeah. And so Mao Zedong fucked around in the Chinese countryside for years and years and years when he could have taken power at any point and the 
current dictator of China was named Chiang Kai-shek, and he was a fashy bastard, and he killed pretty much as many Chinese people as the Japanese did. But Stalin was like, no, you have to get along with Chiang Kai-shek, because you're just going to have a regular democratic revolution, and then you, the Communist Party, are going to run in elections against the Nationalist Party. And Mao Zedong was like, okay, we can't do this anymore. Eventually, he just goes and he chases Chiang Kai-shek onto the Taiwan island kind of afraid of revolution but the Trotskyists are they're more radical they believe in something called permanent revolution right like worldwide yeah like either the revolution is everywhere or it's nowhere and also the the stalinists think that you can have revolution in one country at a time but the Trotskyists are like no you have to either get rid of capitalism or it's not gonna work that's pretty hot yeah i'm a Trotskyist, as you might imagine because tankies suck and also are just really stupid and dumb imagine being an unironic tanky in this day and age. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's just like, I don't get it. Like, they're just, the Stalinists, like, they're, they're past the point of evil. They're just stupid, really. <laughs> There's all these stories of, like, Stalinists who were, like, labor union leaders. And, like, the people would be calling for revolution, revolution, revolution and on general strike. And the Stalinists would go and negotiate with the bosses. Because <laughs> they're, like, afraid of revolution. That doesn't sound very communist at all. Well, I mean, it does, like, I guess, but like, huh. that's, that's not sexy. Now, uh, Trotsky's main rival was Joseph Stalin, so... Oh, uh, so we're, we're getting into the, the thick here, huh? We're gonna... Yeah. So Stalin and Trotsky, that's an interesting set of history, but we're talking about internet culture. And in internet culture, whenever you have two people who hate each other's guts, that obviously means that they are fucked. Oh, yeah. So that's uh, what we're gonna be reading about today. Oh, my and- God. We have a Stalin Trotsky shipped coffee shop AU. <laughs> coffee shop AU. I don't think I've ever actually covered a coffee shop AU. This is this is gonna be my first. Wow, can you believe that? And so the story opens in a modern London coffee shop. <laughs> I'm sorry. Because it's a coffee shop at you. Stop saying that. You're making me laugh. And I don't think we ever learned the name of the shop. But what you need to know is that it is owned by a motherfucker you might have heard of named Muammar Gaddafi. They weren't even alive at the same time, right? <laughs> they weren't. But it's a modern one, so. It's a modern coffee shop at you. I can't stop saying that. It's hilarious. And at a later point of the fic, not at the beginning, the author describes this delightful tidbit about Muammar Gaddafi, which is pretty indicative of the writing style as a whole. Quote, he could take on three armed men in a fight, a feat he was overtly proud of, as he should be. It's not every day you meet someone who is able to take on three armed men in a fight. Why do they say that twice? I don't know. (laughs) He was proud like a mother would be proud of her son for passing a test because he was a very special boy. (laughs) End quote. Yes, that's what your mother's proud of you for is passing a test. Because he was a very special boy. Special boy. And of course, all I could think of is if I went into a coffee shop and saw the owner wearing Ray-Bans, a turban, and a button-down shirt with pictures of Africa on it, I would be like, yeah, this motherfucker could probably make a good cup of coffee. He probably sells cocaine, too, but my budget is tight, so I'm just gonna buy the coffee. Yeah. And Muammar Gaddafi is engaged in a passionate and sultry love affair with a young barista, an art student by the name of Leon Trotsky. Now, I mentioned earlier, Trotsky went to school for math and not art. And he dropped out because he met a hot Marxist SJW girlfriend. But there is no hot Marxist SJW girlfriend in this story. Uh, there's just a, an African dictator and a, 
they're uh, having sex in the back of the coffee shop. In the, really, in the back of the coffee shop? At least have the decency to, like, get a room, like... I don't know, you gotta do something over your break, man. I guess. When, I, when I'm on break, I just, like, wanna fucking screw around on my phone or some shit. I don't wanna get no fucking... Get cum on my uniform. <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do, man. Like, love is love. So yeah, so Leon Trotsky's a, is a young art student barista who has sex with his boss. One day, Leon is in the front of the shop taking orders like a good subservient proletarian, and in walks this handsome young stranger named Joseph, who has nice hair and good looks, and he orders a drink. Quote, Trotsky gasped an intake of breath, as a gasp usually is. <laughs> what do you think? It was the same gasp he made when he saw his dog humping the satay with such ferocity that he instantly wished Joseph was the satay and he was the oh dog. Oh my god. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but I think a satay is like a couch. He'd even let Joseph scold him in the same way, if Joseph wasn't the satay in this particular fantasy, that is. Luckily, Joseph wasn't a satay. He was a living, flesh-and-blood male standing in front of him, all bones and tweed jumpers. End quote. Why, OP? <laughs> and this might be a fun time to point out that uh, Joseph Stalin was uh, five foot four, had one arm that was shorter than the other due to a childhood inju- injury. Oh my god, he's a manlet? Are you telling me? <laughs> <laughs> he was five foot four. I- this is tall as I am! <laughs> and also, his face was covered in smallpox scars because he got smallpox when he was like seven. So that's uh, that's who's walking into this shop. Of course, you know, in real life, that did not stop Stalin from uh, impregnating every woman between Moscow and the border. You know, the guy... Including getting that sweet underage pussy, am I right? Oh, yeah, oh my god. Hey, but what happens in Siberia stays in Siberia. Except that it didn't. It did not, though. Another story for another time. That's a tangent, huh? Yeah, yeah, Joseph Stalin was a pedophile. That's uh, all, y- all y'all folks at home need to know. Oh, I've never seen like this fucking tanky posting like, oh, I can't believe our king would would fuck thirteen year olds. <laughs> I was like, bro. Like, what kind of people, dude, who has that type of personality does not fuck a ch- children? You're like, you're like, this is the type of guy who would totally be one of Jeffrey Epstein's clients. Oh God. You know, when you're an insecure narcissist with too much power. Of course, you know he uh, did all this before becoming a dictator, but I'm sure he did all sorts of things after becoming a dictator too, but. Anyway, Gaddafi comes out of the back of the shop and he gets all jealous and he sees two young commies staring at each other and he oh so politely tells Joseph to fuck off and he tells Leon to stop ogling other dudes. But of course, after Joseph leaves, young Leon cannot stop thinking about him. And you know, he just goes on his break, jerks off in the back of the store thinking about that uh, beautiful pox-marked face. <laughs> I, I can't hate on him for having smallpox. He didn't, he didn't choose that. Uh, now I feel mean. But it's okay to make fun of him. I mean, like, come on. If there's anyone who deserves to be yeah, made fun of. It's, it's, it's totally punching up. But when you punch up, you gotta punch at things that are not also punching down. I don't know. Yeah, just, just gotta punch in all around, though. We punch in all around. Yeah. I mean, if you're punching Joseph Stalin, I think that's a, that's okay. I think that's a good use of your time in any way. So, so he goes out to find Joseph into, the, into London, and, he, and we have this scene. He started in the local vintage shop, because where else would such a beautiful, up-to-the-times man spend his time? He probably had a lover, just as cool and ironic as he was. Cool and ironic. What is this fucking, about memes? 
well, this was written in like 2012 and 2011 when like hipsters were like the huge joke that was going around. Oh. So like apparently this person looked at this picture of Stalin and thought like, that's a hipster. That's a hipster. So there's like so many hipster jokes in this fic. Trotsky couldn't help but scold himself for not being so socially aware and for not wearing as much tweed as he ironically should. Joseph couldn't be found in any of them because of course, how could Trotsky be so blind? They were obviously ironic. He had to go deeper, deeper into Joseph. Oh! No, he couldn't think about that now. <laughs> he could stealth wank when he was alone and crying in his bed with his, in his room for two, but only filled by one. Next, he tried the park. It seemed like the most obviously ironic place for a man such as Joseph to be. It was a beautiful day. The sun shone like the perfect gleam of the strand of hair Joseph would always sweep to the side. Oh my god. He was so cool. <laughs> Trotsky kept an eye out for any beautiful men, but alas, men as beautiful as it seemed to be beloved. It was too good to be true. Get the fuck out of here. End quote. Fuck out of here. <laughs> Y'all really, people are really out here with their Rule 34 ass motherfucking. I'm pretty sure this is supposed to be such it is but, but still so if maybe that's the reaction we're supposed to be having but eventually he finds joseph in a local pizzeria now in real life stalin only ever worked one regular proletarian job he was a record keeper in a meteorological station so he was a fucking weatherman <laughs> that sounds really boring yeah he was a fucking weatherman and he did it for like a year because right after that, he uh, got arrested for protesting. And once you're arrested for being a communist in Tsarist Russia, uh, can't exactly go back to work regular jobs anymore. So uh, I guess at that point, your choice is either to flee the country or uh, live as a criminal or uh, overthrow the government. Yeah. So that he finds him in the pizza shop. And so Trotsky looks up, he sees that Joey Boy is his waiter, and they exchange flirty dialogue, but eventually it comes time to take the order, and Joseph says, have you come to a decision? And Leon says, I think I'll have you. Oh my god, that's so cheesy. <laughs> I don't know, I left. So they sneak outside, and they start making out and kissing and whatnot, and it's all cute and tender, and then Joseph drops a bombshell that he's um, engaged to be married. To a 13-year-old. Well, uh, it's, not, it's not that person, but the girlfriend does come into the story, and she was a real person. And I love how the writer describes Trotsky's reaction. Oh, he said, because what else could he say? I'm going home to listen to Dolly Parton and cry about being alone. <laughs> Your face will forever be in the corner of my mind when I wank. You owe me three pounds fifty for the pack of Kleenex I went through last night thinking about you? No. Oh, would have to do. End quote. He must have been listening to 9 to 5, though. <laughs> I mean, it's the song of the proletariat, man. Anthem of the working class. But they decide, you know, that what the girlfriend doesn't know won't hurt her. So they go back to Leon's apartment and they have sex. And um, apparently Joseph Stalin is a bottom. <laughs> I'm sorry. <coughs> and I'm like, you know what? Oh. I can see it. Oh my God, we're having this conversation. That's that's kind of what's going on in my my fic too. Um, that I'm gonna talk about later a little bit. And it says he let Leon take him as a rider would take a stallion, or how a stallion would take a mare. He wasn't quite sure which was more appropriate. As he lay there, Leon's firm and fleshy arm laid strewn across his nude and well-formed pectorals. <laughs> all he could think of was Cat. She'd been wondering where he'd been all night. She'd never believe his at-the-strip-club, honey, excuse. 
Not this time. He left a note on Leah's bedside table. Four simple words. Don't contact me again. Simple words they may have been, but they were also the hardest thing he had to write. He gathered his clothes and left. The sun was beginning to rise. End quote. Oh, it also mentions off the cuff that Lenin and Trotsky had sex at some point, and, you know, whatever, I can believe it. Of course. Trotsky goes back to goddamn fucking Muammar Gaddafi, is what I was trying to write. And he confesses that he, that he fucked the handsome customer, but uh, he and Gaddafi make up and have some crazy sex. How graphic is this sex, by the way? It's actually not, it's not graphic at all. So there isn't, like, the, the gross imagery and shit that I always love to roast. It's pretty mild compared to the stuff that you usually read on your podcast. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about crazy today. Uh, I'm, I'm scared and excited, just like getting on a roller coaster, man. Sweet. And uh, Jojo goes back to his girl. Jojo! And they have this little scene where they're laying in bed t- together. But, but it's hard for Joseph because uh, he wants Leon Trotsky's firm, strong, proletarian arms stroking his cock instead of the beautiful woman who will never seem the same to him again. But I'm going to take a minute here to talk about Kat, because she was a real person. Uh, Joseph Stalin's first wife was named Ekaterina, like Catherine with an E at the beginning. Instead of email, it's E-Catherine. Why would... Okay, that must be some weird Russian thing. Yeah, I think I think it's a pretty common Eastern European name. Why hasn't that caught on with like the soccer moms and stuff who want to spell Caitlin like 16 different ways? Ekaterina. I don't know. It's a pretty name. Although they weren't Russian, though. They were Georgian. I don't know if that matters, but they called her Kato. That was her nickname. And they got married sometime in like the ni- in the early 1900s. And by all accounts, he truly did love this girl. Like, so, so when he was out being like a gunslinging, terrorist, bank robbing, communist outlaw, that's who he came home to. There's a funny story that I think is funny, like uh, they're living in Tiflis, which was the capital of Georgia. So they're in like 1907, Stalin and his gang, they pulled off this huge bank heist in the town square in Tiflis. And when his wife is like two blocks away and there's this account written by the sister-in-law. And she's like, yeah, so we were just sitting out on the balcony with the baby and we heard the bombs going off. So, so he comes home to his wife and his three-month-old baby after a, robbing a bank. And he's like, yeah, honey, it, it all went fine. Also, pack your bags. We're moving to Azerbaijan. And uh, so, so, so they got married, and they had a baby named Yakov. And Yakov is a tragic story all on his own. Uh, you know, he got, tried to kill himself a couple times, got murdered eventually by the Nazis. Tragic story. But uh, seven months after Kato gives birth, uh, she uh, dies of typhus. I think about her every goddamn day. Because she's just trying to live her life and just fucking dies of typhus because it was 1907. Not that we in uh, 2020 have any parallels going on. Yeah, wow, we're so much better nowadays. And there's a story where he's at her funeral and he turns to one of his old buddies and the buddy is writing about this years later. And he says to his buddy... This creature softened my heart of stone. She died, and with her died my last warm feelings for all human beings. Bruh, don't let us man lead a country after that shit. And was this Stalin's tragic backstory? A lot of people think so. Anyway, that's what happened to Kato, and uh, I don't know, I feel like they, maybe they should leave her out of the story. She, yeah. she just wanted to live her life. And Yeah, real person fix always pretty iffy. Yeah. Okay, back to the back to this story. 
Anyway, so in the meantime, uh, Leon Trotsky and Momar fucking Gaddafi. <laughs> I can't get over the fact that it's Gaddafi. There are so many other people who could have been at the other end of this love trial. Uh, Lev Kamenev, who was another communist. Uh, Vladimir Lenin. Frida Kahlo. Like, how funny would that have been if it had been Frida Kahlo? But no, it's it's this this motherfucker. It's motherfucking Gaddafi. They weren't even alive at the same time. <laughs> but but Gaddafi and Trotsky um, are engaged to be married. Gaddafi's like, put this ring on, bitch. We're getting hitched. <laughs> and Trotsky, who unlike his real life counterpart, had no balls, is like, okay, if you say so. And then right after this happens, Joseph runs in and he's like, guess what, Leon? I broke up with a Katerin. We can be together. And uh, so, yeah, as you imagine, the next scene is very awkward. Oh, my God, the drama. I mean, like, when I first started reading this thing, I was like, oh, God, this is so stupid. But then I started getting it. Oh, no. Like, I'm like, oh, no, they can't be together now. So Joseph is real upset, and he does what any young hipster does. Uh, He travels around Asia to find himself paying his way with his parents' money and by sucking dick. (laughs) Why did they include that? I don't know. By sucking dick. Great, now I have to imagine that. I mean, I mean, you know, you read the fic that you read, so I'm not... Well, yeah, that does have some dick sucking in it. So he gets a job in, like, a quote-unquote massage parlor in Taiwan. Oh, no. And he just kind of hangs out in Taiwan for a while in a state of depression. So uh, Joseph Stalin is a jerking-off tourist in Taiwan, and that's... That's the visual you need to have in your head when you go to sleep tonight. That is a that is a visual. Meanwhile, Trotsky and Gaddafi are getting ready ready for their wedding, doing all the wedding planning, and they're also trying to find a surrogate so they can have a baby. Some of the language in these paragraphs is a bit confusing because when I first read the story, it sounded like Leon and Joseph had just had like a one night stand, but there's also stuff peppered in that makes it look like they had like an ongoing relationship with multiple hookups. So one day Gaddafi says to Trotsky, okay, you little bitch, you're going to go to Taiwan for your bachelor party with all these dude bros I hired to pretend to be your friends. (laughs) Three guesses where this goes. What a coincidence. Uh, Trotsky gets to the hotel that Gaddafi booked for him. And we have this scene here. Quote, you decided on a massage to relax him. His lads would be arriving a day late because Gaddafi didn't want to fork out the money for their tickets because his paycheck was spent on making sure Leon looked pretty. A massage would remind him of Joseph, how he would stand naked near his window in this messy student bedroom, smoking a roll-up because a student can't afford cigarettes when they're addicted to buying online pornography. Why would you buy porn? Shit's free, bruh. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, porn is free, man. So I guess there's better porn that you can pay for, but... Yeah. How he would caress his hands over his stomach and chest and member Ugh. before, ever so slightly, pulling on it gently, how his hands would bring him to orgasm, and one of the downstairs neighbors made a noise complaint. How many good memories? He sighed and put on his 100% wool bathrobe. The on-site massage parlor was white like a royal child of incest born to keep the line pure. <laughs> it smelled like patchouli oil, a smell that reminded him of when Joseph lit candles in his room for some added romance, and Leon complained that the smell was too harsh, and Joseph went to sulk and wouldn't talk to Leon until he'd brought him some Ben and Jerry's Cherry Garcia and fed it to him like a 14-year-old girl on her period. <laughs> a voice distracted him from his thoughts. A mane of dark hair met him, attached to a head, and attached to that was a body all alive yes that is how it works <laughs> sir if you'd like to leon swallowed there was no semen in his mouth 
just the knowledge that he knew this man, and that made him swallow. The thought that he'd swallowed this man's semen also made him swallow again. <laughs> Joseph? Why? <laughs> End quotes. And of course, Leon doesn't want to tell Joseph that he's there for his bachelor party, except there's this here. Joseph blinked. One manly tear cascading down his vogue-worthy cheekbone, splashing onto the floor like the first drop of rain of the autumn season, or a little bit of urine when a child has been on a really long oh car journey and can't hold it any longer. <laughs> and, and Joseph says, Come home with me, Leon, he whispered, and bit his lip in a way that was both seductive and a very bad idea because he seemed to be wearing lip gloss and he got a little on his front tooth. Oh my Leon looked down at the floor. <laughs> I can't, he said, sadly. I'm sorry, but I can't, Joseph. That was the past. You and me, this is the present. This isn't some story, you know. It's not a novel or a magazine or a periodical or a coffee shop AU fan fiction. <laughs> it's real life. I have commitments. I can't go home with you. Joseph blinked. I have strawberry-flavored lube, he said. <laughs> Where do you live? Asked Leon. That'll win him back. I don't know. Strawberry flavored lube sounds gross to me, but whatever, man. And then, of course, they go back to the shitty little apartment that uh, Joseph is renting and they have sex. And they have this little pillow talk scene, which made me laugh, where Joe says to Leon, don't go. And Leon answers, I have to. There's no Apple store. Because apparently they are hipsters. Oh my god. Of course, I'm pretty sure Taiwan is a pretty wealthy and developed country, so I'm pretty sure that there are Apple stores. In fact, a lot of the descriptions of the scenes in Taiwan are uh, kind of racist. But title drop, the bar is low. Yeah! The next morning they argue. They're all emotionally confused and young, and he's about to get married next week. So Leon basically says, this is the time and date of my wedding back in London, and you can come and stop it if you want. And so, you know, Leon Trotsky goes back to London, a place where he did actually live in real life. Um, you know, he wrote their newspaper together there. But, but he's not going to write a newspaper. He's going to get married to Muammar fucking Gaddafi. And Joseph Stalin is back in Taiwan, probably wishing he'd paid a less passive role in the Chinese Civil War and letting Chiang Kai-shek run off onto that shitty little island with all of China's money. But... Of course, he does eventually decide to go break up the wedding, and he's at the airport, and we get this dialogue here. Like he, like, he desperately is trying to prove to the ticket lady that he's not a pedophile or a sex tourist. He's like, I'm not a sex pest. And they argue about it with some witty dialogue, but yeah, Joseph Stalin, when he was in Siberian exile, uh, hooked up with a 13-year-old girl, and he uh, got her pregnant, and that baby died, so he uh, got her pregnant again. But then the February Revolution happened, and he was allowed to go home, and so he says to the girl, like, it's not me, it's you, I'll send you a postcard. And he ran away, but he did send her a postcard. That makes up for everything, doesn't it? Wow. So when your teenage girlfriend and son are living in Siberia, that's a good thing to do is send them a postcard. But eventually he does decide to go break up the wedding, and um, actually that's where the thing off like the author never went to show us the stoppage of the wedding or how it was intended to end i don't know maybe that was intended to be the end but anyway i had a good time so the good part of this fic was the writing itself it took me a while to get into it i thought it was like cringy and stupid at first but i kind of feel like that was the intention the tone is very clearly supposed to be satirical and about halfway through i was like you know what this is actually really funny and i'm actually rooting for them to get together now mostly because there comes a point where you have to suspend your disbelief and disconnect 
the real historical figures from the fictional characters that are on the screen. And the prose in the dialogue is actually really funny. I tried to read a lot of it, but obviously I can't for time. So let me read a few more of the best lines. Please do. Out of context for you. He didn't think he'd be able to love another like he'd love Joseph. He'd given him his all. He'd pulled a muscle in his leg. Another one is, it took Joseph weeks to muster up the courage to return to the coffee shop, which really sucked because they genuinely did have a fantastic pecan pie. Not too heavy, not too light. Or, or when uh, Jojo finds out that uh, Leon is engaged. This couldn't be happening. Joseph had left cats, all soft curves and womanly hormones, for Leon. He and Leon were going to be together forever, or at least for a few years until the sex became dry and stale and they could no longer look at each other without being reminded of better earlier years. That's a little too real right there. <laughs> but yeah, but I, I loved like the writing in this. It was so funny. And they had these colorful little metaphors. The chapters were short and digestible, which, you know, is good because it was actually funny. Like, I, I liked it. But one thing I didn't like that is kind of a problem for me is that it's not actually about Leon Trotsky and Joseph Stalin. Like, obviously, this person read a little bit about Stalin and Trotsky because, like, he knew the detail or she knew the detail about uh, the name of Stalin's wife. But there wasn't really any effort to incorporate jokes about who these people were in real life. Like, there aren't any jokes about communism. Yeah, no, weird. Yeah, no jokes about the Trotsky-Stalinist rivalry and no ice pick jokes at all. No ice pick jokes. I make ice pick jokes all the time. It's my favorite. Like, how funny would it have been if the author had actually incorporated bits of these guys' real personality or things about the world they lived in? There's so much potential in that. Like, for example, the fact that Stalin couldn't fucking speak Russian. Like, he learned Russian as a second language, and he struggled with it his whole life. Which is why you never really hear recordings of Stalin like you hear recordings of contemporaries like Hitler or Churchill. Um, you know, because he was Georgian, which is like really strange language. It sounds like something you would make up for like an alien conlang. It's not related to any other language in the world. It's, you know, he had a lot of trouble learning Russian, but he, but he had to because uh, the Russian schools would punish children for speaking their native language. But, you know, like imagine that like some like hot guy comes into your coffee shop and says, coffee and you can't fucking speak and you know like language and communication problems are like the like the heart and soul of comedy like you can put that in there or, or the fact that stalin robbed banks there's no jokes about robbing banks like imagine how hilarious that would be like joseph stalin lived an absolutely batshit life absolutely batshit before he settled down to be a dictator which is probably the most batshit job a person can have like there's so much comedic fodder in there and Leon Trotsky actually wrote a biography about Stalin. Oh, no. Imagine how funny it would be if you had the ship and then you draw upon the source of how the guy actually saw each other in real life. And like, you know, like, like Trotsky said that Stalin was like a dumbass. Like he, <laughs> I mean, he kind of was, maybe not as much as Trotsky thought, but like, he, like there was a line at the beginning of the biography it was Lenin came to power in Russia because Lenin could write. Hitler came to power in Germany because Hitler could speak. Stalin could do neither. 
So like Trotsky paints a picture of Stalin as being like this guy who has like the personal charisma of a dead frog. <laughs> Me. And he describes it as being like, you know, all like nervous and quiet in meetings and not very confident, very cautious. And he wouldn't speak up unless he was sure other people would agree with him. And But then he would just like go back to his room to sulk if people didn't like what he had to say. Just, you know, like he's just like, this guy's just so annoying. <laughs> Oh, that actually sounds like me, though. Oh, no. <laughs> not good. Yeah. I was not able to find anything about what Stalin thought about Trotsky. Though. Tragic. Because otherwise, I'd have to do that. I'd have to read things Joseph Stalin wrote. Uh. I was hoping that somebody would turn, like, communist Marxist jargon into sexual innuendos. Like, I was looking for a dictatorship of the proletariat to be used in a a sexual context or permanent revolution in a sexual context. No jokes like that. Um, and, you know, there was a movie called The Death of Stalin, which you might have heard of, and one of the reasons why it was so good was because they took advantage of the fact that the people in the movie were real people, and they, like, would research little things about all of the characters' lives and who they were, and they would put it in the movie, and so you would have these characters in front of you who are so vibrant and fleshed out and really funny. So I'm going to say, if you are going to write any type of story where one of the characters is a real person, at least read through the person's Wikipedia page. <laughs> oh man, roasted. <laughs> Shit. It also is a really good idea to read things that the people they themselves wrote. Like, like, if you read stuff that Trotsky wrote, he has, like, this, like, really dry wit. He'll just completely roast a motherfucker and sound completely cool doing it and then go right back into his academic-sounding language. Like, like the guy was, like, he was cool, man. <laughs> I think this author was just a horny thought. Yeah. Or, you know, and I have actually read some things that Stalin wrote. Um, like, I read some articles that he wrote, like, when he was, like, a 25-year-old revolutionary. And, uh... Stalin sounds like a guy making videos in his car. Uh, is that not what we were doing? Yeah, that is what we're <laughs> But I, hopefully I felt, sound better than uh, Joseph Stalin's writing. And like, like Trotsky, like in the biography, he like rips Stalin's writing a new one. He, like, he mentions like that he would actually like laugh when he was reading it because it sounded so oh bad. But, like, Me doing the show. Like, there was this hilarious article that Stalin wrote that I saw where he's like bitching about like the Georgian nationalist movement. And he's so mad. It's so funny. I, I forget what he said. It's like, why are they trying to divide the proletariat? It's a different countries. I don't get it. And like every other word is in like sarcastic quotation mark. And he's so mad. Like this boy's gonna snap one day. And it was so funny to me. So that's yeah, that's another thing. If you're gonna uh, write stories with real people, read shit that they wrote. But the author didn't seem interested in doing it. They seemed like they just saw the photos of young Stalin and young Trotsky and came up with the idea that they thought was funny based on the pictures. And the idea that, that they went with is that they're like liberal art hipsters. This was written in 2012, you know, when hipsters were the big mean. But uh, I don't know, I kind of I kind of got a little offended because like the author takes these communists who were committed communists and he turns them into like a pretty uncommunist things like there's there's all these jokes about how they engage in various types of conspicuous consumerism and the clothes they wear or relying on their parents money and you know just being petty bourgeois gentrifying hipsters and you know trotsky he could squeeze himself into a shirt and tie but stalin when he was young he was actually like a slob like he would be a slob on purpose because he was like trying to like not fit in with the bourgeois norms 
And so those are the stories, like, when he's at, like, this Catholic school run by the monks, the monks would always try to get him to, like, shave and cut his hair, and he wouldn't do it. And he's like, fuck the church, fuck the czar, fuck the cops, and fuck you. I'm a poor, dirty, proletarian criminal, and I'm proud of it. That picture of young Stalin where he has that scarf and the nice hair, he looks like a hipster, but that picture is a mugshot. And this was before he got into, like, robbing banks or running protection rackets. In that instance, he was arrested for joining strikers on a picket line. And I kind of think it's important to remember that it is a mugshot. And it's one of thousands of mugshots taken of leftists during that era. And I'm pretty sure the Tsarist secret police uh, treated their prisoners with absolute kindness and dignity and never beat them or killed them or tortured them ever. And I don't want to get all soapboxy, but the Russian Revolution, which brought about the end to the unspeakable horror that was Tsarism, and the international labor movement as a whole that it was part of, that gave us things like child labor laws and basic workplace safety regulations. People fought and died for that stuff. And, and, you know, they ended up in jail. So you see that mugshot, that's what I think about. You know, respect the troops, kids. <laughs> Freedom isn't free. So that's that's what I wanted to end on, because that picture was a mugshot. That's all I have. So it's good that you talked about a young Trotsky, young Stalin fic, because this, this fic is about how the Cold War really started. <laughs> it features old man Stalin, oh, and no. therefore it is, it's pretty gross. Uh, but yeah, he did have that mustache you like so much at this point, so... Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's like that thing is pure testosterone, man. It's like, looks like somebody killed a mink and stapled it to some guy's face, you know? I, I like it. Yeah, you have to have the weird facial hair to be a dictator. That's That's the rule. Otherwise you're a lame dictator. If you're not going to have the weird facial hair, what's even the point? Yeah, like Robert Mugabe, Trump, lame. Although Trump has his hair, so I guess I guess maybe that. That doesn't count. He's a lame dictator. And Gaddafi had his fashion. Well, I guess he has bad facial hair too, but... So this one starts off as relatively normal weird porn. <laughs> okay. Which is a weird sentence to say, but it is relatively normal weird porn. But it takes some fucking turns. Oh boy. I'm going to be reading a lot of quotes, because the writing, it's... It's really something else. It is very drawn out a lot of the time, but I think it's worth it because some of the phrasing is just so strange. It takes place during the Potsdam Conference. Do you know much about that? I know that it was when uh, Truman, Churchill, and Stalin got together and they like divided up Germany and Korea and so I know a little bit about it. I'm not gonna give a whole rundown like you did, but yeah, post-World War II shit. It doesn't have Churchill in it, though. It has um, Clement Attlee. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, I think, I think yeah, Churchill got voted out of office because everybody realized that he actually sucked ass, so. So it has his successor then. Oh boy, okay, let's read this opening paragraph. <clears throat> All right. Joseph Stalin, anticipating his meeting with Harry Truman, the widespread American capitalist in charge of the prosperous free world. Though Stalin knew that Clement Attlee would be attending the Potsdam Conference, this didn't arouse Stalin's interests, for he was solely devoted to the bodily vessel of Harry S. Truman, the elderly man with, with any attractive features. <laughs> Joseph previously heard the incalculable speculations of Harry's physical appearance. Stalin had seen pictures and written documentations detailing accounts with Harry Truman, all of which were illicitly obtained by Soviet spies, but he'd never before seen him in person face to face. He was told of Truman's slender figure, his irresistible 
pelvis shape, the way his clavicles rested between his prominent sternum and his golden hair. Oh no, I don't know what those bones even are. I don't know what those body parts are either. <laughs> Although Stalin's regime opposed homosexuality, Stalin was rebellious. <laughs> Through his experiences of entrapping masses of his own population in gulags, he had acquired a skill for defying social norms that had formed the fundamental rudiments of the Soviet Union. Homosexuality was generally disparaged globally in the 1940s, and so experiencing sexual attraction to an individual of the same sex would be viewed as unconventional, and unconventional was what Stalin yearned to be. <laughs> for Stalin, the threat of being unique, and not just a simplistic blip in one's eternal timeline, Fornicated with Stalin's thoughts? He didn't fear the negative stigma of homosexuality nor the stigma of being an ardent capitalist sympathizer solely for the love of the irresistible men. <laughs> End quote. Do we want to unpack this? So, so like, he hates the gays, but he's also gay? I, I guess he's just repressed. Uh, Except he's not really that repressed here because he, he making moves. Because he has a literal army. He can do whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah, like, bruh, you're the dictator. You get to set the standard. <laughs> the whole thing is written like this. I, I guess it's like the hipster Stalin theme is uh, continuing. He just wants to be uh, standing out. <laughs> oh my god, it is. You're right. It takes like three chapters of his internal monologue before anything actually happens. But my god, what internal monologue it is. <laughs> Like, it has real slow burn energy, even though it's only like 20k words, and they fuck relatively early in it. You gotta get to the good stuff, you know? So basically, what he's thinking is that all the other conferences with Churchill and Roosevelt were boring, because they went too smoothly, and he yearns for drama. <laughs> Here's a quote about his fucking mustache. <laughs> Stalin jolted his dense facial hair towards the glistening oak door. He composed himself, correcting his informal Russian posture. <laughs> straightening his slanted fur hat and finally moisturizing his fingers with the lick of his tongue Ew. and coating his disheveled mustache with a layer of his vodka-scented saliva. Oh. <laughs> O-P-Y! Is that like people- is that like how they really twirl their mustaches with like spit? I hope not! Cause you're supposed to get wax for that. The quote continues. Stalin vehemently grabbed and squeezed the thigh of his trusted aide, Vladimir. Vladimir released a satisfactory squeal and proceeded to slap Stalin's wrist to overtly display his opposition to Stalin's supposed invitation to initiate a homosexual copulation. I'm sorry. So, like, he's, he's like, hitting on his, like, young secretary? I'm just gonna imagine that it's Putin. <laughs> but, of course... That wasn't an invitation, it was a display of Stalin's excitement. He could sense Harry Truman approaching. <laughs> he just fucking smells him from the other room like he's a wolf or some shit. <laughs> oh my god. Usually I wait till the sex scenes to nitpick shit like word choice, but it, it's already like- It's already like this! It's already so weird! But it is not. Truman who shows up. It is British Prime Minister Clement Attlee. Ugh. The human receding hairline, as they call him. And your boy Joey is very disappointed. Aww. Can I call him that? I guess we already started calling him Joey Boy and, and Jojo, so uh... Did you know what his nickname was in uh, real life? What was it? His name was in the Georgian language is like Yoseb or something. But a nickname for that is So-So. So like when he was a kid, they called him So-So. Like he's mediocre? So-So. Yeah. Which I think is like the absolute cutest thing in the world for a nickname. But then when he was like 15, he read this book 
and decided to name himself after the main character of the book. So he went by <laughs> the name Koba for his whole life. Oh, that's edgy. He's like, Joseph is dead. Koba is the main character of my favorite book, and that's what you're going to call me. <sighs> okay, his receding hairline man. Um, Atlee's receding hairline resembled that of the division of the Red Sea. <laughs> Stalin scolded all who were associated with Clement Atlee. He started to contemplate whether Winston Churchill suited his sexual desires more than Atlee, and oh, Churchill yuck. was a very unattractive male. New quote. Harry Truman may be a feast for the eyes, but no feast was worth waiting for an hour, and Stalin was becoming ravenous. His intense <laughs> hunger required nutrition in the form of an elderly American man with a concerning fascination with the deaths of thousands of Japanese civilians to come. Oh. <laughs> you can't spell fascination without fascism. And instant realizing that one could spell fascination without fascism, even Stalin was embarrassed by his own error. <laughs> Why is it written like this? Well, I do know that uh, the Stalinists had this weird idea that, like, moderate social democrats were worse fascists than fascists were. Oh, the real fascists are on the left. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're like, actually, social democrats more like social fascists. And they refused to work with them as Hitler was uh, rising to Germany. And that, that's why Hitler was able to rise to Germany, because the Stalinists were being uh, limp-wristed pussy babies who wouldn't work with the social democrats. I think they they just hate centrists, huh? I mean, could you not hate centrists? <laughs> I hate to sound like drag, but... Fucking kill all centrists. So Harry finally shows up, and, and Joe's just trying not to fangirl too hard. That's the best way I can explain it. He's like, oh my god, oh, oh my Vladimir Lenin, he knows my name, ooh-woo. Ooh-woo. <laughs> Quote, where Truman's hands had once been, Stalin's skin was pulsating, carrying minimal vibrations across every part of his body oh, no. and every crevasse. Ew. I don't want to know what they mean by every crevasse. <laughs> he turned to face the direction of Truman's chair, slowly exhaling his carbon dioxide filled breath. <laughs> Truman was organizing the conference papers, a stack of ink-stained sheets possibly 25 centimeters high. Stalin analyzed Truman's rhythmic patterns of finger adjustments. He could imagine those emaciated fingers fondling his external limbs and reproductive organs as opposed oh, to what his fucking God. is internal limbs. I mean, boys' hands are kind of the sexiest part of them. Like, I see a boy with nice hands, I'm like, mm, what can you do with those? His emaciated fingers. <laughs> This doesn't sound very sexy to me. No, I don't think that's my my type when it comes to hands. I know, I like how we were talking about how Stalin's a pedo, but now he's like, yes, I like elderly men. I mean, it's it's better. The quote continues, As he gained explicit imagery of Truman engaging in sexual activities, Stalin soon became obsessed with the thought of Truman without garments and his dominance over Stalin. How Stalin yearned to be toppled over by a man and forcefully pounded onto the ground. He's a bottom. <laughs> this is not something I wanted to have to think about in my life, but here we are. I don't know. I bet there's a lot of people who are bottoms that we wouldn't expect. Who knows? Maybe he really was a bottom. So the conference starts and it's, you know, not very conferency. There's like not that much talk of, of actual conference stuff. Mm -hmm. But we do we do get some lovely quotes. Ooh. I'm here. So it starts with Germany shouldn't be destroyed as all as Joseph had suggested we did. It is logical to rebuild Germany back to its economic prosperity, Truman said, partially biting the bottom of his lacking moisture, coral-colored lips. <laughs> Harry Truman 
completely opposed Stalin's agenda, but that didn't concern Stalin. Truman's godly curves were taking precedence over the welfare of his nation. Stalin didn't care to interject, though Truman was taking advantage of him. And Stalin didn't particularly take lightly to that. Stalin presumed that it was a dominating factor to Truman. Rather than expressing his disapproval, he was compliant. Joseph said the rhythmic undulations of the slender figure sitting in the chair in the center. Anything you'd like to add? Stalin's body quivered and the hairs on his arms rose to attention. <laughs> Daddy was calling. <laughs> Yes! Can a pussy quiver? What do you have to say about that matter? Um, do you think a pussy can quiver? I think they can pulsate, but I don't think they can quiver. A pussy can pulsate? I don't really know how that would look. I mean, like, you can kind of, like, internally feel your pussy pulsating. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But you can't see it doing that. So he leaves to go to the bathroom. I think he hopes that Truman will follow him there, but he doesn't. He just sits on the toilet all depressed while his aide, Vladimir, Vladimir Putin, <laughs> supplies only the softest of toilet paper for his dictatorly <laughs> snowflake anus. But because he's a big, strong man, he wipes his own ass. <laughs> Five foot four, one arm shorter than the other. <laughs> And he yells at himself in the mirror, quote, Listen here, Joseph, this is no time for your homosexual desires to overcome your domineering character. Imagine that you just walk into the room and there's Stalin just being like, Listen here, don't be gay. <laughs> you go to Gulag, you did not need to see that. So when he gets back to the conference, Atlee and Truman are arguing about dropping the atomic bomb, and he successfully obtains validation by telling uh, Daddy how justified it is, but then Truman's like, bruh, we know you've been committing human rights violations at home, which, it hurts his little snowflake feelings. Aww. God, he really is a Republican. The conference takes a break, and there's, there's this part where German twink servants, like, give them seafood, and... <laughs> There's this weird, this really weird quote. An oyster was slightly appealing to Stalin within a dark crevasse of doom inhabited in his brain, but he was obliged to refuse the generous offer of an oyster as he had no reason to obtain an impure scent within his oral cavity. <laughs> if Stalin was fortunate, his and Harry Truman's tongues would interlock and conjoin to form a sea of flesh prone to an elevated sense of taste. The Prometheus of all living and deceased tongues to dominate over all other tongues. A fountain of knowledge retained into one singular conjoined tongue. <laughs> a source of knowledge from the tree of knowledge. The Garden of Eden provided the perfect apple of knowledge for the mortals in the conference. Well, one thing we could say is the prose is not boring. OP, what were you on when you wrote this? Some substances were probably... What were uh, you smoking? This is a quote. Everyone left the room, all but Joseph and Harry, who had stayed behind to collect the remainders of their possessions. Truman brushed against Stalin's shoulder. Stalin's oh. shoulders hadn't even recovered from Truman's arm grab earlier on, and the brief collision of Truman and Stalin's shoulders just intensified Stalin's bicep contractions. I'm sorry about that, Joseph, Truman apologized, <laughs> but there was no requirement for an apology on behalf of Truman. Stalin took the arm collision as a divine gift from God. <laughs> I mean, I, I can relate, you know, when there's a hot boy and they touch you accidentally. Okay. <laughs> it goes on. Stalin's external reproductive organ 
was practically throbbing with an immense desire each time Truman passed his side to grab yet another one of his American possessions, his heart rate increasing with every view of Truman's bulge forming around his crotch region, Truman's youthful oval-shaped treasure chest attached to his archaic elderly body influenced the production of salivary substances within Stalin's mouth. So wait, is Truman getting the boner or Stalin getting the boner? I think they're both getting boners. Mutual boners. Hashtag relationship goals. Indeed. Are you ready for the sex scene? Yes. How is it so far? Um, I'm having a good time. It's about to get worse. The, the worse it gets, the more fun I have. Like, that's that's the point of listening to this podcast. So, Truman closes them both inside the conference room and he starts getting naked. And he takes off his shoes and they fall like the two atomic bombs on Japan. Ew. <laughs> And he reveals his little pepperoni-looking nipples, and he does a little finger-sucking, and he's like, I've seen the way you've been looking at me today, Joe. <laughs> oh my god, this part is so weird. Stalin removes a bottle of sunscreen from his suit, because that's what they're gonna use as loop today! Wait, this is what he brings with him! It's like, that's weirder than Hillary Clinton having hot sauce in her purse. Just politician things. Here's a quote. Stalin compressed the cylindrical sides of the bottle of suntan lotion and formed a pile of reasonably viscous suntan lotion onto his hands. He began to rub his hands together to distribute the concentration of suntan lotion equally, just like the social economy of the Soviet Union. (laughs) (laughs) Good practice. I was already like, why the fuck they put so much detail into squeezing a bottle of lotion, but then it just hit me with the fucking economy shit and I lost it. (laughs) I'm gonna read this long and disgusting quote about two 60-year-old men fucking, but I'm I'm not sorry, you know what, I'm, I'm not sorry, it's quite a long quote i mean i'm i'm here i'm listening i I knew what i was getting into sort of maybe i didn't yeah i didn't i don't want to give you too many spoilers but here we go bend over harry stalin demanded (laughs) wait no i gotta do my shitty russian accent bend over harry (laughs) does that sound russian to you (laughs) i don't know stalin wasn't russian though i know but i still want to do my shitty russian accent (laughs) okay bend over harry Stalin demanded and Truman complied without hesitation. As Truman bent over, the cushioned chair tucked into the circular table of the room. Stalin placed his hands onto his hindquarters, <laughs> spreading the suntan lotion around Truman's cheeks, carefully distributing the suntan lotion to all sides of Truman's evenly coated rectum. Stalin's cold hands <laughs> embarked on a journey of sexual satiation, beginning at Truman's digestive tract's end and ending at his digestive tract's beginning. He spread his his hands across Truman's belly. Feel how large those nipples are. (coughs) Stalin holds Truman's hands so they outline the circumference of his abnormally large nipples. He strokes Truman's nipples with his thumb over and over, causing a few flakes of eroded skin to fall from Truman's areola. (laughs) I moisturize, boy. Can't be ashy. Yeah, they got the fucking lotion, man. They using that to moisturize his nipples instead of his asshole. Oh, God. That would be so painful, having, like, chapped nipples. Ugh. It's just not sexy. (laughs) With the suntan lotion still smothered on Truman's rectum, Stalin had not forgotten about this. Stalin firmly squeezed Truman's rectum and exhales out of exhaustion. The copulation hadn't even begun yet, and Stalin was already experiencing signs of fatigue. Oh, no. Yeah, I guess that's what happens when you fucking whatever, 57 or some shit, and you fucking in, in, in the Potsdam conference. 
Truman, as attentive as he is, once again noticed Solon's difficulty of resuming Truman's rectal arousal. I'll take over, baby, Truman declared, raising his rectum upward in a promiscuous way and placing his hands upon Solon's shoulders, instructing Solon to become seated. Truman picked up the suntan lotion that Solon deposited on the floor and held it in his hands, checking the sun protective factor value to ensure peak protection for his lover. <laughs> Gotta keep that pox-marked face from sunburning. <laughs> they're not doing this outside. I don't know why they're worried about this. God, there's still gonna be some like maid who has to come in and clean all that shit up, you know? Oh my God! Imagine Truman begins small, biting Stalin's excess skin located by his belly region. Moving down Stalin's body, Truman felt for Stalin's penetrative instrument <laughs> through the endless extensions of skin prevailing. The what the are the, the endless extensions soft small licks against Stalin's two shriveled reproductive spheres <laughs> OP you can just say balls <laughs> I feel like they're trying to make it sound as unsexy as possible because it's not sexy <laughs> But we don't need words to to tell us that. We just we can tell that this these are just two sixty year old men fucking, and it's not sexy. I'm I'm totally for old men, you know, enjoying their twilight years with each other. But oh yeah, but like keep it to yourself, <laughs> bruh. Once, twice, three times, again and again, and repeatedly until finally that's it. Stalin can take no more, and he comes intensely, loudly sagging weakly and crying for more. Truman's arms wrap around Stalin, and he cradles his legs as his legs liquefy into a boneless heap of warm flesh. Oh. Stalin's temporary paralysis did not deter Truman. Truman was on a mission! <laughs> Stalin's climax was sensational, but Truman was determined to achieve greatness. Truman turned his neck left and then right, placing his hands on his shoulder. He twisted again, his bones cracked. The old man with the extremely high libido was loosened and his joints lubricated. That's the only thing that's lubricated here, because he fucking using suntan lotion as lube. That's improper. It would probably burn. Wait till they're in like the sex dungeon and they're still using sunscreen as lube. There, I spoiled it a little early. Oh no. Yes, oh no is right. <laughs> Continues. <laughs> Stalin feels weak, but he does as Truman asks as Truman curls his legs around Stalin's hips and positions himself beneath Stalin. With one thrust, he's inside him and he cries out again, revealing extreme pleasure, all the while listening closely to the muffled whispers Truman moans through his ear. This is the Berlin blockade! <laughs> Truman declared. I mean, I don't think it's as funny as using dictatorship of the proletariat in a sexual context, but... I'll take it. At least this fic is actually about Truman and Stalin, unlike my fic that I read was. Which is a so. fucking coffee shop, hey you? <laughs> yeah. This is the Berlin blockade, Truman declared while thrusting his erect instrument into the anal cavity of Stalin. <laughs> what is this, like a scientific paper? Truman pounded Stalin's behind <laughs> and pinned him onto the round table's surface, tying a knot into a silk tie wrapped around Stalin's bound wrist. There's no more entries, Truman said breathlessly, and failing to gain his speech, you've restricted all passages via road and rail that causes a hindrance to economic production in my sector of Berlin, Truman exclaims, inhaling slowly and relieving his worn-out instrument. Stalin yelps a screech of pleasure, practically yearning for Truman to 
continue his copulation. Please, Saul inflated. Fuck me one more time. You refused to withdraw your Marshall Plan from my sector of Berlin, regardless of my opposition, and now I'm threatening nuclear devastation. Who comes up with this? I don't know. Somebody who needs to have less time on their hand. Oh, I can't imagine what they're doing in quarantine now. Hopefully they're an essential worker. For the good of humanity, some people need to have jobs. See, this is why people need jobs, not for the economy, just so they write less porn. Or maybe that's why people need less jobs. But not these people, though. <laughs> it continues. Truman remained breathless. The asthmatic 61-year-old was incapable of keeping up with Stalin. Oh, come on. I'm going to enact the communist alternative of the Marshall Plan. Come, Khan, and I'm going to distribute... <gasps> Stalin was abruptly restricted of his words by Truman's physical interjection. Truman tossed Stalin over like a Soviet sausage in a, in a pan. <laughs> is, is a Soviet sausage a thing? I don't know. Revealing Stalin's coated with suntan lotion rectum, <laughs> Truman took 10 seconds to observe the natural beauty of Stalin's round pillows. He wanted to remember what they looked like before he planned on dismantling and mutilating Stalin's anus beyond recognition. Oh my god. He observed it, took mental notes, and calculated the exact curvature of the ass. <laughs> <laughs> fucking dude's doing fucking math about this ass. <laughs> Truman then proceeded to invade Stalin's anal cavity. The invasion resembled that of the Soviet soldiers sieging control of the, of the Nazis occupying Germany, especially the situation in the Fuhrer bunker. <laughs> Truman like. Truman lightly placed its colored lips on the entrance of Stalin's ass and then pressed them together. A light kiss for a sensitive anus. <laughs> Stalin's face was pressed up against the table another time. Truman almost crushing Stalin's cheekbones with his mighty strength. Insertion after insertion, Truman's battered instrument was continuously dissolving the walls of Stalin's fecal passage. <laughs> Please just say ass for fuck's sake. <laughs> like if you're gonna think of a metaphor, at least think of like a colorful or poetic one. That might be one of the least sexy things I've ever seen an a body part called. <laughs> like I'm sorry, but if you have a, a shit fetish, I'm kink shaming you because that's disgusting. Like that guy who wrote the one fake that got deleted. I was thinking about reading. Oh, the the fucking yeah. Uh, there there was for the folks at home. I read a fic that was uh, Chinese language. I had to read it through Google Translate. Of somebody who uh, wrote about uh, President Xi Jinping, but it was a poop fetish fic. And, so, and like you'd be like going and spying on girls in the bathroom. No. And then there and then like the ghost of like Mao Zedong appears to him, and then weird shit happens. But the ghost of Mao Zedong. <laughs> yeah. So. It continues. <laughs> Truman began to eventually slow down, giving himself and Stalin a 20-second break in between fucking sessions. Breathless once more, Truman sat on the chair, Stalin still mounted over the table, ready for sexual satisfaction. Truman became slouched and informal. Stalin took this as a sign of Truman's withdrawal from their sexual relations. Oh, no. But being the needy Soviet that he was, Stalin still wasn't finished. He took pity on Truman and decided that sodomy wasn't the answer. Instead, oral copulation would be more feasible. Stalin kneeled by Truman's instrument, which was just inside of his ass, oh might God. I add, inside of his fecal passage, not sanitary. Just wipe it off, at least. He's a fearless man, what can we say? I mean, he went up against the Tsarist police and got shipped to Siberia like eight times. Like, I don't think the guy was a coward. 
Stalin kneeled by Truman's instrument, stroking it lightly with his forefinger and thumb. Stalin drew Truman's dick closer to his face. Stalin looked at the head of Truman's instrument while the head of Truman's instrument tingled unbearably, oh, induced no. by the intense anal penetration. It didn't seem as though the suntan lotion was effective in lubricating the inside of Stalin's anal cavity. You think? <laughs> Stalin kept his eye adhered to the head of Truman's dick. Wow, they use the word dick. Can you believe it? Yay! Analyzing it for any imperfections he should know of. <laughs> Stalin positioned the, he- the tip of his large tongue on the center of Truman's head of the penis. Stalin looked downwards the dick shaft. It was a short journey for his tongue since Truman's penetrative instrument was no longer formally erect as it had been. <gasps> Stalin finally arranged his mouth to submerge the entirety of Truman's dick. Stalin's tongue oh, wrapped no. around the middle just as Truman wrapped Stalin's index finger with his tongue. Does Truman have a small dick, I guess? I think he just lost his boner. Then it gets really gross. I mean, it's already gross, but it gets worse. Stalin, face down in the dense vegetation of Truman's pubic hairs, resurfaced for air, (laughs) for an inhalation of air that wasn't previously exhaled carbon dioxide. Four seconds. Four seconds was all that Stalin required to continue his exploitation of Truman's genital forestry. Oh, no. Like, manscape Truman. Shave it, dude. Get some clippers. Get it trimmed. Slow breaths, and Stalin was back to his Christopher Columbus of an exploration. Oh, no. Stalin began to lack logical thought. His brain was saturated with thoughts of a rather sexual nature. The door creaked open, and penetrating artificial lights covered all visible surfaces in the conference room. Standing at the door was Clement Atlee. He'd come to collect his pen that he unfortunately left behind on his chair, the exact chair that Harry Truman's naked body was sitting on. Stalin heard the door open and turned his head to the direction of the noise, immediately realizing that Clement Atlee was standing beside the door, his mouth agape at the scene. He had just intruded on. I, I, um, Atley paused. Uh, just came to collect my limited edition Parker fountain pen with the silver tip that I left on my, uh, that chair. He said with a tone that would suggest that he's slightly discomforted. He's not going to say anything about All Atley could see was the dictator of the Soviet Union kneeling on the floor with ejaculate covering the opening of his mouth. Harry Truman's body spread across Atley's chair with his eyes shut. It's so gross. Yeah, it was in his mustache. You gotta wash that off. He's gonna just he's just gonna lick his fingers with his vodka breath, and he's gonna like just just he's gonna clean his mustache that way. Yeah, the alcohol should uh, sterilize it. Guy in real life was a raging alcoholic, though. Stalin chuckled nervously. You may be slightly confused, Stalin said to Atlee. I mean, I was looking for my section of the the conference papers, and he just... Stalin was interrupted by the unexpected awakening of Harry Truman. Harry's dick resurfaced at the exact moment he saw Clement Atlee leaning upon the oak door's frame. Stalin lowered his eyes towards Truman's crotch region. He saw Truman's dick become erect and recharged. (laughs) I'll just come back later, I guess, Atlee suggested. Lowering his head in shame, disbanding him from the door's frame. Wait, Clement! Truman shouted, propping himself up back onto the chair. What, you, what you've seen here, it's inexplicably bad, immoral, beyond explanation. No, Mr. Truman, I've never really viewed homosexuality as abominable, Atlee responded. I could say that I do occasionally feel a sexual attraction towards the same sex as myself. 
Atlee smiled at Truman. Truman returns the smile with, with a wink and a diabolical curl of his chapped lips. Stalin placed his sad puppy eyes on Truman's. Truman didn't meet Stalin's eyes in response. Stalin was blatantly overcome by jealousy by the newly established oh. close covalent bond. Oh, Truman, you little... Wait, a close covalent bond? Is that not, like, a chemistry term? Covalent bond? What did they a say? covalent bond, yeah! That's like when two things are stuck together and they can't get unstuck very easy. Yeah, that's a chemistry term! What is it doing here? <laughs> <laughs> the close covalent bond between Atlee and Truman. There is definitely an atomic bomb joke to be made there. So it goes on. Stalin's lips trembled as Aww. if he were about to cry. <laughs> Are we may are we really being like, oh poor baby? <laughs> I just want them all to be in love. <laughs> so there's no nuclear war. <laughs> Overly expressing his own concerns with Atlee's presence in the room seemed petty to Stalin, and so he kept his peace and didn't surface his concerns in fear of potentially arousing disruption during the erotic scenario. Again, Truman winked directly at Clement Atlee. Come here, Truman whispered erotically while bending his index finger towards himself. Come here and join in. <laughs> So, that's the, that's that long quote, and the threesome begins. Is it weird that the strangest mental image? Well, one of the strangest mental images is that Stalin is making puppy eyes. Is that? He didn't have like puppy eyes though. They were like little beady little motherfuckers on his face. This episode has just turned into a session of let's roast Stalin. <laughs> well, he deserves it. So. Yeah. Damn traitor to the revolution. Fucking tankies. <laughs> Do you think this was written by a tanky? I don't think so. There's not really that even that many politics in this. Like, I just wish all the world leaders would fuck in real life so that we could have less war. Although that would probably cause more war, not less. Yeah, it would make alliances very complicated. But if, like, all of our world leaders were, like, bonobos and they would just fuck instead of fighting... When I was, like, a little kid, I was like, why does there have to be war? Can't, like, two presidents just fist fight each other and whoever wins? When I was little, I asked my mom one time why uh, George Bush and Saddam Hussein couldn't, like, have a coloring contest or something. A coloring contest? <laughs> yeah. And my mom's like, oh, it doesn't work like that, baby girl. Oh, Italian Joe Biden, I touched the woman without their consent. I send the troops to Iraq. Oh. <laughs> Oh, fuck, I thought we weren't going to talk about Joe Biden today. But Joe Biden, Joe Stalin sound awfully similar. Please use this knowledge to, like, <laughs> trigger reactionaries. Choose your Joe. Choose your Joe. Oh, man, I don't want to choose either of them. The correct answer is, of course, Joe Jonas. So, this threesome, um, I'm not going to read any quotes from it, but apparently uh, Clement Attlee has a six-pack and a monster cock. <laughs> and... <laughs> I don't know what Clement Attlee looked like. I'm going to have to look him up. I mean, I just told you he has a receding hairline, and that's really all you need to know. Um, well, so did Patrick Stewart. He was pretty attractive, so... <laughs> yeah, look up look up Attlee. He's, he's not very attractive. I'll give you a moment. <laughs> I mean, he's better looking than either Truman or Stalin. I well, thought Stalin was hot, at least young Stalin. <laughs> Way to out me. <laughs> like, I got a thing for men in power, okay? I know you do. I, I didn't ask this. I didn't. I didn't choose for it. But God cursed me with it, and um, now I kind of want to fuck Joseph Stalin. How would you do it? I have to ask that question. I don't know. I just want to like be like some dictator's mistress, you know? Just like yeah. I'll just like have a kid with them, and then 
oh, threaten to go to the press, and then they have to give me, like, $8,000 a month and send the kid to, like, a fancy boarding school. Nice. <laughs> so you've, you would have your life all planned out if this were, like... They just set me up with a fancy apartment in the capital. But if I were going to fuck Joseph Stalin, I'd have to go back to 1945, or, and I don't want to do that. Earlier than that, I hope. Well, earlier would be worse, because there was even less antibiotics then, so. Yeah, but then you, you wouldn't have to fuck old man Stalin. You'd, you'd just fuck young, attractive Stalin with the nice hair and the fucking hipster scarf. <laughs> See, that's the dilemma, is you gotta go early in time. If you have a thing for men in black and white photographs, you have to go when they're smallpox. Ugh. What, what dictator would you fuck now without having to go back in time? <sighs> that's a tough one. I don't know. Kim Jong-un. Yeah, I know. He's not attractive, but he is a millennial. He knows how to text, probably. Isn't he dying or something? I don't know, but his sister's pretty hot, though. I saw a picture of her. All right. I'll fuck his sister. You fuck him. I don't- I fuck his sister. You're not straight. You're not straight, Sophie. I- I'm You know what I am is confused, okay? That- that's valid. So are you ready for this to take a fucking turn? Sure, let's let's do it. Okay. So, well, first of all, this is a sentence I'm about to say. Um, at Lee and Stalin spit roast Harry Truman. <laughs> that is porn someone wrote. <laughs> this takes a turn because Stalin is a very jealous lover and he finds a metal hole puncher and he he just bludgeons Clement Atlee to death with it. <laughs> you thought it was just gonna be fucking no it's it suddenly turns into a story of harry and joe disposing of the body in the german countryside oh, no. so much for my dreams of world peace due to sexual orgies nope <laughs> and he, he's very mad at harry for betraying him for atley and i i know i he was just before he was like harry is a living god but now he's like harry is an ungrateful little slut it's all his fault that i had to kill the prime minister of britain <laughs> And Harry has to, like, pretend to like him still, so Stalin doesn't hurt him. Oh, no. It went from, like, crack porn to, let's bury a body together, my love. And it, it just, it keeps getting worse. Oh, no. Can you imagine just being a German citizen, just living out in the countryside, minding your own fucking business, and you see this. These people dropped bombs on my house, and now they're doing this. So they, they drive away from the burial site. They get to the hotel they were supposed to be staying at. We get some weirded out German citizens. Uh, here's, here's the quote. Someone stepped out of his black convertible that he conveniently parked outside of his reputable German hotel. Oh, <laughs> he was a convertible! <laughs> I don't know why that's the that's funny to me. You know what? I see it. If you have a mustache like that, you probably like muscle cars. But it, 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 it fits. <laughs> so Stalin decided that the best option for him and Truman was to skip the reservation at the restaurant Stalin had previously ensured a vacancy at. The trauma of burying Clement Atlee in the German countryside's forestry seemed to discomfort Truman. Wow, you think? <laughs> Stalin exited the black convertible before Truman, walking around the perimeter of the car towards Truman's side. Stalin, out of common courtesy, opened Truman's car door like the gentleman his mother raised him to be. <laughs> Real gentleman fucking bludgeons a guy to death with a hole puncher. His mom was a crazy person. Like, in real life, she was like the town slut. 
And like she would like sleep with all the rich men in the town and and then they would pay for a little Stalin to go to school. And like there was all these rumors that like his dad was not his real dad. And she she was just like this crazy person. Like there's literally like stories of like when he's like this dictator and she'll be like giving like newspaper interviews and he's like, Oh, you was such a good boy you know, and we talk about all the embarrassing shit he did as a baby and of course what's he gonna do? Gulag his mom. Gulag your mom. And she's like, I still think he should have been a priest. <laughs> oh my god, I forgot that he was like almost gonna be a priest. Thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> I mean he probably saved himself from the lower levels of hell by dropping out of the seminary. So So then, you know, like the gentleman his mother raised him to be. <laughs> Truman took a hold of Stalin's hand that was in front of him, offering assistance. Stalin's hand assisted Truman's swift but prolonged exit. What? From the car, a ceremonious scene of Stalin's abetment towards Truman was widely observed by some passing German civilians, some of whom were arousing speculations with each other. Oh, Such no. speculations and remarks included Is that Joseph Stalin holding the hand of Harry Truman? That was supposed <laughs> to be a German accent. I fucked that up. And are those two men being more affectionate than they ought to be? No, no. Imagine being more alarmed that they're gay than that the people who drop bombs on your house are fucking each other. Oh my god, these poor Nazis just want to live their lives. Oh, they weren't Nazis. They were just regular working class people. Well, the Nazis were Nazis, but the German people were also victims. I'm sure some of them were real believers, though. Yeah, that's true. The speculations failed to aggravate Stalin. Stalin was appreciative of his and Harry Truman's overt display and of controversial homosexual affection. He liked the thought of being controversial in the public eye. Truman let go of Stalin's rather tight clasp. No, Harry, let's come out together. Hold my hand. Let the world see the truth of our love, <laughs> Stalin said, extending his forearm towards Truman's. Truman shook his head vehemently in opposition. No, Joe. If we come out, they'll ask questions about it. Lee, do you understand that we can't come out? Well, not now, at least. Truman stammered, his eyes filled with paranoia, concentrating on the various miscellaneous objects surrounding them. <laughs> I, I guess you're right, Stalin said, lowering his head, slightly ashamed of himself for constructing such a drastic proposal. The German civilians close by continued their speculations, pointing towards Stalin and Truman as they both walked towards the entrance of Stalin's hotel. Stalin turned around to face the accumulating crowd. I will have you all obliterated in gas chamber if you continue this nonsense, you fucking illiterate Nazis. Aww. He whispered to himself, hoping that Truman would laugh alongside his joke. Truman was pretty uh, murderous, so. So, this scene is... Oh boy. Um, Stalin has some interesting ideas about interior design because he takes Harry to his suite and... <laughs> my god, it's, it's a mess. Quote, Truman saw the interior of Stalin's suite... Though he'd seen luxurious rooms such as his at the White House back home, he was in complete awe at Stalin's interior <laughs> design. The skin tiger on the floor used as a rug, its mouth open, displaying its pristine canines with their sharpened edges intended to tear apart the meat that would enter its oral canal. Yes, that is what teeth are for. Like, he's got like a tiger rug with his head still attached? Yeah, he's like a tiger rug. And then it says, perhaps the tiger was a symbol of Stalin's dedication to homosexuality and completely lacerating penile meat that was adhered to the bodies of sensuous men. <laughs> I know, what? They're really reaching with that uh, comparison, I'd say. I didn't know tigers would be a gay icon, but... Tigers are gay. You heard it here first, folks. I mean, there's Joe Exotic. An another Joe. Oh my god. 
You heard it here second, folks. So the quote continues. Stalin reached behind his large television set, switching on the electric to view his television show. Wait in the bedroom while I watch final 20 minutes of my state-controlled television program, Stalin ordered Truman, and Truman did just that. He took himself over to the organized bed that had a pair of two fur-covered handcuffs attached to the two willow bedposts at the side of Stalin's bed. Truman also took notice of the glass cabinet full of riding props (laughs) above the framed picture of Vladimir Lenin. (laughs) of Vladimir Lenin. A framed picture of Vladimir Lenin. Not the person I would want looking down on me while I'm having sex. Who is the person you'd want looking down on you while you have sex? I don't know. God. Because who else? That's the only person I'd be comfortable with because he watches me all the time. Not that I believe in God. but Well, Vladimir, if you'll remember earlier, instead of saying, oh my God, Stalin said, oh my Vladimir <laughs> Lenin. So he thinks that Lenin is God. So it makes perfect sense if you think I mean, about if, it. If there is an afterlife and the dead do go to heaven, um, Vladimir Lenin very well may watch me in my intermittent moments. Uh, not in a sexual ju- way, just in a ghost way. But. Which is also creepy, but still, you know, he's dead. He can't help it. So he has all the the riding props. Oh, no. uh, Stalin didn't ride horses or participate in dressage competitions. There was only one plausible use for the riding crops, and Truman was terrified <laughs> of it. He's gonna whip me like a horse, he said under his breath. A fucking horse. Back with the horse metaphor, <laughs> like for the other one. You let him take him like a stallion takes a bear. Oh my god. Yeah, let's enough with the horses. I don't know. Apparently horses are really sexy animals, I guess. I feel like when whenever people are into bestiality, they're like horse fucking. I don't know what is it about horses? Is it their monster cocks? I'm sure other animals have giant dicks too. I'm sure it is. I, don't, I think it also might have to do with, like, you can, like, really see their muscles through there. Uh, I, let's not get into that. Let's go back to this, uh, fanfiction about, uh, Joseph Stalin having sex with Harry Truman. <laughs> Something much more pleasant to imagine. <laughs> I see that you've seen my collection of so-called toys, I guess, or whatever you'd like to call them. Stalin intruded on Truman's observation of the room. Oh god, this is a this is a quote. Stalin entered the room wearing nothing but a woman's lingerie that clearly didn't fit his overweight figure, a red laced furl brassiere attached to black laced panties. Thank you, OP. I did not need that mental image. <laughs> I have to think of that now when I go to sleep. Stalin sighed, clasping his hands together and rubbing them against each other. Riding throps? Check. Sun pollution? <laughs> Check. Dildo? Probably won't do it. Someone evaluated the large dildo by his bedside. <laughs> Truman wasn't sure. That's why he hadn't noticed the tremendous object beforehand. End quote. You guys can use normal lube now. Hopefully. I would hope that th- they have regular lube with all these other sex toys that they have out here. They don't need to use sunscreen anymore. <sighs> and apparently, this is uh, quite disturbing. Joe is keeping Atlee's dismembered penis inside his panties. It is my job to say these words. I am contributing to society. Yeet! <laughs> He makes Harry put the handcuffs on and he swallows the key. This is a little more dark. The wine that he gave Harry earlier had a date rape drug in it, so we get like a whole scene of Joe doing various strange things to his unconscious body. It's not good. But it's about to get even weirder. And I know that this is the the origin story of the Cold War, but now we are about to get the origin story of World War II as well. See, you see, you see, comrade. When Harry wakes up, 
Joe monologues about his tragic backstory, about his dad beating him. But also, you know who else beat him? Was Hitler, because they used to be in a relationship, and Hitler would beat and abuse him, and World War II was just revenge for this. I mean, I did, I, when I was picking a fic, I did find some Hitler-Stalin ones, but they were too cringy yeah. for me to read. I couldn't get through them. Didn't you find, like, a Hitler-Jesus fic ones? Yeah, I did. It was bad. Like, it was supposed to be bad, but the, I also found on episode 69, like, unironic Hitler oh, really? porn. And I was fucking hammered when I did that. I was like, um, I don't know if I'm gonna do it, and I was already drunk then, but then I just finished my drink and I clicked on it, and I was like... <laughs> This is my life. <laughs> so Truman's, you know, all tied up, can't offer him physical comfort. So he just like strokes Joe's t- shoulder with his toe. And Joe decides to vomit up the key and free Harry from the handcuffs. But he still won't let him leave the room after telling him all those deep, dark secrets. So Harry just slits his throat with the key. And he's like, I really wanted coming at Lee's dick. I just settled for you. And he just leaves Joe there bleeding. Harry kills Joseph. Stalin? No, no, no. Stalin's not dead. Sadly. Harry gets to his own room and he cleans up. People are asking and wondering where he vanished off to. And then, like, Jimmy Carter makes a cameo <laughs> to ask him to come to a press briefing. <laughs> oh, no. And he's like, fuck you, little Jimmy. Leave me the fuck alone. Are you ever going to be president? I don't think so. I don't know why Jimmy Carter was there, but he is. Then this tragic conversation happens. You're going to get to hear my bad Russian <laughs> accent a lot. The phone rang. Its continuous dings and repetition of high-pitched undulations of artificial instruments pierced his eardrums. I still don't know why it's written like this. That was strange. There had been no telephone in Truman's room the night before, and the night before that, Truman stood still, staring at the plastic box on the wall. The phone keeps ringing. Truman came to terms with the possibility that the telephone would never be silent, so he walks towards the newly installed telephone on the wall. He removes the phone from its designated position and raises it towards the center of his ear. Hello? Truman asks the silence in the receiver. He awaits a reply, but receives none. Impatient, Truman taps his feet against the floor is wooden boarding. Hello, who's there? He asks again. Hello, Mr. President. The same Russian tone Truman heard last night said on the other end. Truman was about to place the phone back into its original place, but he'd resisted the temptation. Who are you? Truman asked, his voice trembling, unable to shield the listener from his worry. You know exactly who I am, Harry, spoke the Russian tone on the phone. Joseph? How? Vladimir found me on the floor, Stalin said, breathing heavily through the phone's voice receptor. He found me in a pool of my own blood, Harry. A pool you caused. You wanted to kill me. You know what Stalin was found in a pool of when he died? Vomit? His pee. Pee! <laughs> oh, he's a little he piss boy! In real life. He fell on the floor and pissed himself, and everybody was too scared to go check on him because they were afraid if they disturbed him, he would get mad at them. So he just laid in his own pee for like hours and hours. That's embarrassing. Did he shit himself as well? I don't think so. I mean, I don't know, maybe he did, but he died like a few hours later. But that's how, uh, that's how uh, Jay Stahl met his end. Jay Stahl? Jay Stahl? That's his rapper name? I don't know. I think I think Stalin itself is kind of a rapper name. Jay Stahl. I like Jay Stahl. It's like Jay-Z, but Jay Stahl? So the quote continues. <laughs> a fool of blood you caused. You wanted to kill me. You wanted to kill your darkest secret. A gay lover with a waxed mustache. Stalin settled his fast breathing by laboring his breaths. 
Not only have you broken my heart, you've broken the heart of the Soviet Union. Oh no! Shrevet <laughs> dragged his behind and his back down the wall, still cradling the phone in his arms. He brought the receiver towards his mouth. Joseph, what happened last night was deplorable. Taking your anger out on my nation won't resolve your vengeance, he said directly into the receiver, his voice breaking at the last syllable. There was silence on the phone line for a while, but then Shrevet heard indistinct noises in Stalin's background. Don't do this, Harry. You attempted to murder me, and now you're placing a facade as of all world leaders you choose me to deceive oh, the no. phone line crackles creating a synthetic pause in Stalin's senses the fucking dictator of soviet union truman looked across his room eagerly searching for a possible escape if you do anything stupid Stalin, i swear to god that i will nuke you <laughs> fucking try me bitch <laughs> I can't imagine him saying that i don't know i can't i was a gangster for a long time <laughs> fucking charming bitch. Slow in speech became muffled as his anger increased. What are you going to fucking do to me? I got this new ICMB called Stalin pauses. The SAR bomb. Silence roams the phone line. Both Truman and Stalin estimating each other's thoughts and emotion. If you don't speak Russian, SAR means- I know what it fucking means, Truman interjected, his head lowering onto his chin, another silence prevailing across them both. The door of Truman's door. The door of Truman's door? Okay. Open slightly. If that's you, Jimmy Carter, I will lynch your parents. Jimmy left the room immediately, pleading for Truman to listen to his requests with the glint of sadness embedded in his eyes. I have something else, Stalin says. What have you got? Truman sighed. Eyewitnesses, your body fluids on my trousers. Just wait until I inform people that you killed Clement Atlee. Stalin laughed into the phone, but his laugh was interrupted by his sudden cough. Induced by the cigars he smoked daily. The phlegm rose to his trachea, his cough now moist and overpowering Stalin's tongue. He clears his throat. I learned by heart the lines of your face. I can draw them with my eyes closed. Your face reminds me of the center of untainted butter. Silky, soft, and yellow. Your face is the antagonist to my protagonist. A mild face when you're at fault. Your face filled with rainbows of laughter. Your face filled with clouds of distress. Your face fluttering when I open your entrances. Your face agonizing. All that time I spent waiting for you at the conference. Your face eager when you kiss me. Your face oh, surprised no. when I pulled in your restraints. Your face in the middle of pain. Your face on the periphery of pleasure. Your your face with the baffled look when you wake up, your face falling asleep with total surrender to my riding crops, your face the first day we met, your face the last night we parted, I learned by heart the lines of your face, they all led me into hell, they all led me into heaven, and they lead all of us to nuclear warfare. <gasps> I wish someone would write poetry about me like that. <laughs> yeah, weirdly poetic. Uh, didn't expect that from this fake. Okay, another random fun fact. When uh, Joseph Stalin was a teenager, he wrote poetry. And he was, like, really oh my good God. at it. And, like, he won, like, all these, like, poetry competitions when he was a kid. And, like, and like people uh. in, like, Georgia still read him. Because, like, I can't imagine, like, there's, like, eight Georgian poets who are even slightly good because it's such a tiny country. But... Apparently he was a really good poet in real life, so... Fucking, I can't imagine what he wrote his poetry about. I'm wondering, like, if I could find a translation of it somewhere. 
But like apparently it was just like really like artsy, edgy teenager. Oh my god, amazing. So after the phone call, Truman goes to the press briefing wearing just a wet towel when he gets bombarded with questions. But Stalin just barges in on a horse with one of his riding crops. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he kills every American in the room except for Harry and he apologizes for everything and they confess their love for each other. But they decide that they can't be together. Oh no. Here's how it ends. And I love you too, Stalin responds, lowering his eyes to Truman's hand clutching onto his. Listen, Harry, the only way we can preserve our amity is by resuming things as they used to be. Tension between Soviet Union and the United States. Stalin removes his hand from Truman's. Don't resist it, it's the only way, Stalin says, repudiating the possibility of meeting Truman's eye as he felt another tear forming in his eye. He stands up and walks towards the door. Wait! Truman <laughs> called out Stalin, turned around to see Truman now standing by his chair you can't leave without giving me a kiss <laughs> Truman sprints to Stalin Stalin extends his arms towards Truman letting Truman sink into his warm comforting hold Truman adheres his lips onto Stalin's the kiss he'd been yearning to initiate since last night was recommenced Stalin's strong arms proving the perfect shield against opposing forces Stalin stretches his tongue down Truman's extensive throat <laughs> Truman lets the tongue restrict his airways as he was willing to die for Stalin's in a way with his hand nodding his head to signal his departure he kissed Truman's forehead not wanting to leave the tight grasp of Truman's hands I love you Harry and I will always love you no matter the circumstance Truman was taken aback by the surreal moment he had no words Stalin mounted his horse and sat there for a few (laughs) seconds establishing a mental image of Truman to preserve (laughs) he mouths the word I love you, my Siberian ice cream. Once more, then commands his horse to turn towards the door. The Soviet army shines <laughs> on. Truman waved back at the Soviet troops waving at him. Then the last words Truman would ever hear from Stalin. Have a happy cold war. <laughs> the end. Oh, man. <laughs> that was a fucking trip, yo. It was. So, uh, what the fuck did we just experience, OP? I have questions. Why did you write this is my main question. What compelled you to create this alternate version of history? Why was it written like this? I, I, I didn't write it. I'm not sure I can answer that. But, uh, okay, one thing I didn't understand is why did Truman try to murder Stalin? In the, in the bedroom? He needed to escape because... Oh, because he was trapping him in the room. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's just like, I'm just thinking about, like, you know, somebody, like, took time out of their life that they could have been <laughs> playing video games or writing something else or learning a foreign language or playing with their dog. Even just jacking off. And they spent it creating this. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just sad that they, that they couldn't make it work, yo. Because if they'd made it work, <laughs> we would have had peace forever. But now there was a Cuban Missile Crisis because Stalin decided to date Ray Perry Truman. I mean, Truman forgave him for that pretty fast. That was problematic. I mean, I don't think that's the only problematic thing. Yeah. But it was problematic. (laughs) Everything about this was problematic. All right, so thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, I'm I'm glad. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I had fun. So today we covered Fifty Shades of Red by Sheep Sheep Ba. 
and Stalin and Truman, A Love Beyond the Cold War by Modern Korg. The Bar is Low is on Instagram. You can find us at The Bar is Low with an underscore in between each word. Follow us so you know what's coming up next. Sophie, would you like to do any self-promo? Um, I have a YouTube channel called Ghost on the Ohio, all different words. Ghost as in boo-woo-woo in Ohio as in the Ohio River. I have a Tumblr blog called Stalin in Hell with dashes in between the words where it's uh, you can uh, listen to Joseph Stalin complain about being in hell and uh, all the other people who are in hell with him. Those are the only pluggables I have right now. Thank you. If you have a fic to suggest, feel free to get in contact with me. And if you want to drop a rating or review on iTunes, that'd be real cool. I'm not going to beg you for five stars. Give me however many damn stars you think I deserve. As always, I'm your pal when she gets the kiss. And we were joined today by Comrade Sophie. Thank you for joining me. And that's all for today. Bye, guys.